Hi, everybody. This is Carolyn Elliott. And actually, Layla isn't with me today. Instead, as a special guest, I have my dear, wonderful husband, David Lovewell. Say hi, David. Hello, everyone. And um, yeah, you're listening to Sleepover, the Sleepover podcast. So I wanted to have David on because I've learned so much from him about the great work and the trans-temporal, trans-dimensional, larger self. And I figured it would be fun for you guys to learn from David, too. So, David, would you tell us about, you know, your understanding of the great work and what that means and how it's done? Yes, I would be happy to. And I will preface it by saying this is my current understanding and even my own shifts a lot from time to time. So anyway, I see uh, the great work as the process of enlightenment, enlightenment, which I feel like many more people are familiar with that in the, in the world as a sort of household phrase, I guess now, but I really think that they're speaking to the same thing and I say process as an ongoing thing. It's not like you get to an end point and then it's over. You kind of transcend the concept of endpoints, but maybe getting beyond myself. Uh, the great work in the Western sense of alchemy, I really think is getting yourself uh, your point of identification for your seat of awareness to this trans-Saturnian place and explain that in a few different ways but a lot of the old western alchem alchemical stuff is like about climbing this planetary ladder and working with the archetypal fields of the different planets and usually they they go just to saturn as we didn't have telescopes whenever all of this was written at least that could see these outer planets and anyway um, the, the old, I guess, Hellenistic understanding, as I'm familiar with it, of your soul coming here into this body is like you, you come down through each of the spheres and take an imprint based on where the planet is. So you start with Saturn and come all the way down through Mercury and the moon and are born here in this body. So that's why your natal chart is like an imprint of your soul's journey. Uh, when you came into your body and then when you die uh, you go backwards out and you know enter into the trans-Saturnian the beyond um, and you do that when you die naturally and continue your soul's journey whatever that may be and I think that the the great work is to do that while you're still alive and uh, you know somewhere I don't know if it was Jesus or someone in one of the Gospels said, you know, if you die before you die, then when you die, you don't die. And uh, there's a lot of wisdom in that statement. It can be taken different ways. Um, but I think it applies to what we're talking about here. And, you know, this trans-Saturnian idea, I think, uh, in... So what does that mean? Practically, I think... The Matrix is really interesting, like the movie, 
waking up from the matrix and realizing that like everything you thought was real uh, is not real and there's this other thing beyond it. Um, the matrix, you know, is Latin for mother and even in the Kabbalah, going up to Bana, uh, Baina, Saturn is the great mother and you know, you have to cross the void to get there. So even in uh, Kabbalistic stuff like um, crossing the abyss, entering into the, the so-called void, I think is the same as this trans-Saturnian awareness and Nirvana and Samsara, I think are in other ways that people have talked about it. So like everything within uh, the Saturnian matrix, all of the planetary things here in incarnation is what we see as Samsara and beyond it is nirvana. I like the phrase, uh, Craig Williams, time travel is nirvana. Maybe something like that. I don't know the actual quote, but the implication is that like, samsara is contextually dependent upon time and space. And you can actually enter into this non-dual awareness that's beyond the limitations of time and space. And you can do that while you're still uh, essentially anchored inside of a biological uh, being and body that's here in time and space. So that's like the tantric maxim, uh, samsara is nirvana or vice versa. You can experience both. And I think that the great work is really first getting beyond Saturnian consciousness, beyond the matrix of space-time. And then once you've experienced that, um, trying to relocate your center of identity and awareness and perception to uh, that other realm beyond, and not just like habitually gravitating back to identifying with what you find here, within the matrix and then and during this whole process um you know lovingly identifying with everyone and everything that you see as a part of yourself that's sort of a natural consequence of getting beyond uh to the trans saturnian um and really just doing your best to heal and raise the amount of connection and love that exists uh within the matrix while you're still in it and uh, other parts of yourself are not currently uh, as awakened. You try to love them as best as possible and just teach people how to love more. And I think that all of that is the great work. Wow. So, um, okay. Okay. So I hear that you're referencing sort of this, the, Hellenistic or late antiquity model of the ladder of the seven planets and talking about climbing back up them. It was interesting. I was just reading this book, sort of an old book, um, Mystery Religions of the Ancient World by Jocelyn Godwin. And he was talking about actually there was a lot of anxiety. People did not necessarily believe that they would just naturally transcend like you know, the sphere of Saturn, like they felt like they couldn't do that without mystery initiation. So they were worried that if they didn't get fully initiated, they would, 
you know, just be like a shade wandering around Hades and like not make it to like the Elysian fields beyond the seven planetary constrictions. Um, and that also was reminding me of like the Gnostic stuff about how, you know, this material world is sort of like a soul trap where you can just get sucked into incarnating again and again and not really have freedom of choice in navigating it. But I guess there's been all sorts of a big range of opinions about exactly what happens when we die. Hard to say. Um, but certainly I would think that it really helps to have had a lot of initiation and practice in one's current life so that when you, I guess the way that I think about it is that when we die, right, there's this big DMT release and we're tripping and it's like, if you don't know how to navigate that empty, fluid, tripping dream space and direct yourself in it, then you'll just, the dream will just keep dreaming you <laughs> and you won't stay lucid. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I think that the lucidity will oscillate no matter what, periodically. So like, I personally believe that people believed all of those things about getting trapped and I think that, you know, within the great paradox of non-duality, change being the only constant that exists, uh, I think that no one will ever get stuck in any position permanently, including full enlightenment. Like, change is the nature of things. And, uh, yeah, you know, they talk about the Tibetan Book of the Dead, um, which is like a funny Western translation of really, it's like the book of the in-between place or something mm -hmm. like that. And this notion of the bardo, people usually relate to it as this thing that you experience when you die, but really we're in it right now and we're always in it and experiencing it and navigating this, like you just spoke to, like when you die and you go into this weird dream thing, it's like, we're already in that. We don't have to die to experience it. And most people's uh, experience of life in 2023 in whatever country you find yourself in is like a weird place. And there's lots of uh, potential pitfalls and things to get upset about. And it's really just, you know, uh, a manifestation of the Bardo and how you navigate it. You can you can walk on water or you can, you know, be gasping for air, struggling to stay afloat. Um, you know, this is reminding me of, I think, one of the most far out things you ever said to me with like one of the most weird vampire things you ever said with like total, con with full total conviction and seriousness with which you hold it. And I think it made a big impression on Layla too which is um, you started speaking to me about how we're always already dead, like we're dead right now. Would you talk more about that? Most people, I feel like, are laboring under the delusion that they're alive. <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. It connects with what we started off talking about, too. Uh, 
So this trans-Saturnian experience, I think you could, in modern parlance, maybe say sub-Saturnian is perceiving like the particle reality and trans-Saturnian is the wave form reality. And so that's where like all probabilities simultaneously exist. And, you know, you've been really into the retro causation and, um, precognitive dreaming. I think you, you kind of naturally, everybody taps into this at times. Um, and so there's part of you that your death has already happened. And we don't experience that here in the linear space time, but out beyond in the non-dual probability, all of the infinite ways that you could ever die and what happens to you after that, that is already existing right now. And in the trans-Saturnian, you identify with that as well as everything that came before, uh, all of your ancestors and your bloodline and your past lives, all of that is existing and symmetrically resonating with future things that haven't happened yet. And it's sort of the present moment being this uh, point of feedback between the two coming together in a, in a symmetrical geometry between the past and the future. That's really interesting, a symmetrical geometry. So I get the impression, you know, I get an image of a Taurus when I hear that. And I also think about, you know, emphasis on symmetry implies like a certain beauty and pattern to that intermeeting of influences from the future, what has already happened, and the past. So I know that you don't like the deterministic idea that there's only, you know, one definite future that is retro-causing events in the present you're much more in tune with the notion that there's just infinite possibilities. I guess I wonder in that model, how do you imagine, you know, which pos which from which range of possible future possibilities are we affected if there is an infinite range of future possibilities? Like, do we tune in to different futures at various times based on what we're doing in the present or? Yes, and um, hmm. trying to think of how to explain this without getting too complex, but we do tune in to, uh, well, I want to say just funny paradox, you know, the infinite number of possibilities and futures. It's like those contained futures where we don't have free will in some of those, and I think that uh, experiencing genuine free will and causality, uh, magical abilities is, I think, a part of individuation and like healthy biology being syn synonymous with that. Um, but I think there's ways to be unhealthy where you don't have a free will, even if you, you have the illusion of it. I think that both exist and we have different wills from different places and different parts of our being. Um, but to answer your question in the relevant thing here, 
you know, I think that our experience of the present moment is always made back, made up equally of a feedback from potential futures that we're creating. And as we change our actions here, we're, we're changing the potential futures that we'll go into. And we can sort of zoom out our consciousness as we grow in this way from just beyond the little pebble hitting the water of time in the now to the circles that ripple out uh, in all directions. So we get a feel for the future and the past um, that we're tuning into and the past being a relevant part of this as well. You know, they say it's never too late to have a good childhood as a saying that affected me a lot uh, at a certain point in my life. It's, you know, how you relate to your past affects the future that you grow into. And it's not just linear from past to future. It's also like there's future, you know, future experiences that your present moment is made up of. And maybe only unconsciously do most people perceive the future that's already happening because of what they're doing right now. But they are lucidly connected to it. And it's, it's almost like a radio dial that's being tuned based on what you're doing in each moment. And mm, fascinating. So, yeah, well, what this is also making me think about um, I just want to mention earlier, we were talking about the how we're already dead in the grand nonlinear scheme of things. And I was just thinking about how that was really helpful. Pondering that was really helpful for me in getting in touch with, um, you know, the part of myself that is absolute subjectivity, like pure spirit, pure consciousness without qualities, you know, utterly transparent, utterly just awareness being aware without um yeah without being identified with any body or personality because that to me you know is is what's dead what's always dead and what's always alive that spirit that's beyond identification or qualities and i think it wasn't really until i started thinking about that ever presence of death um, that I became more sensitive to being able to, you know, like the Emerald Tablet says, like sort the subtle from the gross. Um, I became able to sort out that really subtle, absolute subjectivity, pure consciousness dimension by pondering the ever presence of my death. Mm. So thank you for that. You're welcome. I think that these things creep into popular culture in various ways and say a few things about how people can tap into this. I think the the most common thing is maybe like, uh, you know, Stephen Covey, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People talks about imagining your eulogy and like you're dead already and uh, what are people saying about you at your funeral and how are you living right now? Like, are you living in a way that's going to create that or what, uh, you know, changing your behavior accordingly. So there's just this sort of like 
motivational aspect to how you want to be remembered. But I think that feeling into the way that you're actively creating that memory in each moment is as a sort of live feedback mechanism. Another thing that people can do that I've had great success with is I'll start out by saying, you know, there's this DMT release when you die, uh, in theory, and they say you live your whole life again. I've heard lots of amazing tales of this. People experience it in different ways, but there's sort of this flashback, like you non-dually experience your whole life and relive each moment and get to see everything, sometimes from the perspective of each consciousness that was present in each interaction. You're simultaneously self-identified with everyone and can feel what everyone was feeling, how you affected everyone. And so essentially there's a part of you that's dead experiencing this right now as part of your flashback <laughs> of your life. And if you think about that, the mental exercise to tap into it and explore is like, what if I've already lived my entire life and died and was given a second chance and now I'm living it again? Would I make this decision I'm about to make a second time? And experiencing everything as if you've already done it once and are getting a second chance. Uh, can create some really interesting effects and keeping that in mind that you know maybe you're already starting to experience the moment of your death rippling backwards in time and psychedelically affecting you tuning into all of that simultaneously is a good start um, for getting to those transaturnian planes yeah i really love the suggestion of those practices and i know that you have been you know, for many years, you've really seriously done a variety of different practices um, from, you know, martial arts uh, to studying the runes and tarot and Kabbalah. And um, I'm interested, like, what right now, if somebody was like, hey, I really want to begin this cultivation. So you've just recommended two practices for reflection and decision making. <clears throat> I guess I'm just wondering what other practices might you say to somebody who's like, I really want to begin this work and come into this larger awareness? I think the simplest thing that I, that anybody could do and that if done consistently, I believe will bear fruit in whatever way is most right for people. Uh, is a practice that I originally learned from Jason Miller, and I believe somewhere floating around, he, he has a PDF of base form of this ritual, but I'll explain it so you don't need that. It's called the Offering of the Extended Self. And basically you just give an offering to all of your past incarnations, future incarnations, all of your ancestors, all of your descendants, uh, all of your alternate selves within the multiverse of different probable timelines that are coexisting right now, use that made different decisions, you know. And then finally, 
an offering to your higher self beyond uh, the bounds of space and time. And some of that's my wording, and this is how I think of it, but you give an offering, uh, which you know can just be a candle and some water. And when you do it and say a blessing and you, you try to extend uh, gifts of benevolence out to those things, you really want to feel along the lines of connect connection to those different things as you say them. So the easiest would be connecting with your ancestors, at least conceptually, like you can understand what an ancestor is. Think about it and feel backwards and just give gratitude to them and wish goodness on uh, your ancestors, but pulsing that in every direction and doing this every day thickens this uh, point of connections you think of like there's spores and as they grow they create a mycelial net and I think that doing this offering is like growing the mycelial tendrils between all of these different places in space and time and once there's a, a thick enough critical mass it can fruit the body of a higher dimensional organism that you're a part of um, that yeah that really is your hyper body self and I will add uh, my own little thing that's connected from other. Wait, can oh, I just pause you on yeah. there? Because I just think that's a really beautiful metaphor. So you're talking about how this simple practice of giving a daily offering of benevolence and candle and some water dedicated to ancestors, descendants, future higher self, other selves and different probability worlds builds a dense mycelial network of uh, I guess, consciousness, awareness, exchange of benevolence, and that that eventually fruits in like a mushroom body into a higher dimensional sort of congealing consciousness. consciousness. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And to me, one of the funnest pieces of that is the alternate selves in the timeline. And maybe the weirdest or hardest part to talk about i won't derail us too much going into it but i will say that you know if there's infinite probabilities there's other timelines where you became a buddha or a christ-like avatar and in this practice you're connecting with that self that made those decisions that reached that state already and I think that putting a little bit of conscious awareness on the fact that those probable timelines exist somewhere in the infinite multiverse and consciously connecting with them is a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. And what I really love too about this practice and um, is like, in that book that I'm so excited about by Eric Wargo, Precognitive Dreaming and the Long Self, he has this whole discussion about how an attitude of caring and honoring and benevolence towards one's past self and towards other people um, is probably the best predictor of whether or not somebody will be able to have beneficial precognitive experiences where they get some messages from their future selves that are really helpful and illuminating to them. 
And I just find that so fascinating. So it seems like this practice, um, you know, deliberately leverages that by proactively being like, you know, I'm going to do this grounded symbolic ritual each day of sending benevolence and care to all my related parts of myself and ancestors and descendants. Um, seem I can re- just really see how that as a ongoing life attitude primes the pump to, you know, for your evolution into the Buddha or the Christ or whatever that then gives you benevolent gifts in this present moment. Yeah, for sure. In the trippy time magic aspect of it, it's like there's uh, praying for the past. Uh, You know, there's the future you that's giving gifts to you here now. And I think that uh, is is certainly a thing. And as you were saying, that was thought of a really mundane less more mundane aspect of it that I've heard people say and uh, notably I'm thinking of this pastor at this church that we go to and he's talking about like how he and this this experience he's having is a result of the prayers of his ancestors like they prayed for him to be where he's at and uh and now he is. So the other part of it is, you know, like you're praying for your descendants and you're praying for your future uh, incarnated selves. You're having the accumulated merit now and giving it forward and praying for your future self in the same way that you give it backwards to your, you know, previous self. So it all comes together uh, in this geometry that we talked about. Mm, yeah the beauty and the symmetry becomes really apparent with that attitude of benevolence and care. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can just really see that about how that as sort of like the center point um, makes a really beautiful fractal all around it of just unfolding splendor. Indeed, the unfolding splendor of love yeah, well, that uh, that makes me uh, kind of want to talk about our house motto, which is so beautiful, which you came up with. Would you want to talk about that? Yeah. Our house motto. Well. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Shouldn't be. Do you want to keep it more private? We can. No, we can talk about it. I was just thinking. Carolyn hasn't uh, come out yet as a love well. She's still an Elliot. Um, and there's a legal name changing happening uh, because of my past and just wanting to start a family legacy that is my own. Uh, so the name is Lovewell. Uh, David Lovewell and Carolyn Lovewell. Grace Lovewell, maybe. Anyway, uh, the house motto is Amor est memoria Dei, which means love is the memory of God. And you can treat that as a cone and ponder it, and it will reveal lots of things at different levels. And I don't want to 
say too much about it, but I would think that this mycelial network of connection really is love and memory. And uh, there's these overlaps in the word for memory and courtly love uh, being the same word um, and concept. You know, we think of remembrance, I should say that in like old Germanic languages, um, mem, meaning that. Uh, so we remember the things that we find beautiful and valuable and consciousness is in love with itself and is remembering the truth of that and that we're all connected. So the memory of God and experiencing the love of God and also identifying with God and remembering that that's your true nature as this infinite loving field of connection, all of that is a part of what it means. And that's so gorgeous. And I think part of what is so beautiful to me about it is making explicit that relationship between um, memory and divine love. And um, part of what I really love about our work in the world is that it really is all about um, enlarging memory, sort of in the platonic sense of like the soul's memory. Um, and like the larger our memory is, the larger, um, you know, how do I say, like, <laughs> um, the more we remember ourselves as beings who are larger than just this body or this personality, the more um, access we have to love and access we have to divinity. And I feel like we live in a culture that is, um, well, you know, extremely debased in many ways and very focused on forgetting and distraction and, you know, the sort of like materialist pleasures and like don't spend any time remembering your larger identity, your larger soul is like the main message <laughs> that comes through. And um, yeah, I'm just really excited. I love that as when you formulated that motto, it just really struck my heart as being so, so gorgeous and just like this infinite um, reflection of truth. And um, I'm excited about the, just the larger scale revival of mystery schools in the world that we're a part of. Like, I know, you know, since we started our mystery school, we've had other friends begin to do mystery school type things, ceremony type things. And I feel like there really is this uh, sort of electric current just, you know, coming through the world right now, I guess maybe sort of in antiodromia, like forgetting became so big that now there's like this reaction against it and people are like no you know what we we really would rather remember we really would rather wake up and become lucid to our larger selves this whole like being entirely in the slumber of material world is not that fun actually yeah for sure i think that we're reaching 
are growing into this critical mass of remembrance and even if not yet the remembrance the the awareness of the possibility of remembrance i think if you were to talk about past life memories and things like that maybe like uh you know 50 years ago it wouldn't have been a widely accepted thing but now it is becoming more and more widely accepted uh and there's so much clinical evidence of people studying people's past lives experiences or memories and objectively verifying that they're not just making shit up it's like there's a lot of that so even just as an idea of what's possible and not even just possible i mean self-evident it is what is whether people access it or not um yeah it's becoming a part of our culture and our collective consciousness so those are like seeds that are you know more and more going to start to bear fruit and i see this as evidence of you know the alternate theory that we're not in the kali yuga that ended and we're in the one after it and we're really on this upswing in the world spiritually still relatively close to the kali yuga we're not like in the golden age or anything <laughs> but uh that people are remembering and waking up more and more not less and less and i really think that's beautiful and hopeful and i'm excited for what the future holds yeah me too i like that um i feel like something really happened in 2012 and I, you know i've mentioned this on the podcast before but i was talking about it with layla who wasn't in pittsburgh in 2012 but I wonder if maybe we could talk about that a little bit since you were here in Pittsburgh in 2012 and experienced the bizarre vortex. I would like to pause the episode here. Maybe we'll make that a second future All right, episode. we'll make that a future episode. Reflections on <laughs> the weird stuff that went down. Tantalizing <laughs> anticipation. In 2012. Well, thank you, honey. It was lovely to get to share with the world your reflections about the great work and this how to build this rich mycelial network so that uh, we can all become these fruiting mushroom bodies of transtemporal, transdimensional, transturnian consciousness. Thank, Thank you. you. It's nice to have a platform to say weird things. <laughs> it is. So thanks for listening, everybody. Um, please like, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.